Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Hey everybody, welcome to the Biology Report. Unfortunately, no Bradley Hodge today. He's a little bit busy, but I do have a special guest. He is best described as an international man of mystery. He grew up playing cricket in Footscray, Western Melbourne, went to South Australia, Tassie, England, the Netherlands, America. He's been everywhere. He's Test Cricketer of the Year. Back in 2001, it's, of course, Funky Cole Miller, live from Las Vegas. How's it going there, mate? Flam, how are you, buddy? Hey, we had our first 100-degree day today in April. Can you believe it? It's, it's only springtime, but it's 101 degrees today. <laughs> and, mate, how's it been? I mean, we're all in isolation. We hope, hope everyone is uh, staying safe and we're getting through this. Um, what's happening over there in Las Vegas? Not much, I would imagine. Hey, we've been basically, I furloughed all my staff on the 23rd of March, so we've been shut down basically since then. We're a timeshare resort, so we had a few guests staying. We've still got two guests in the hotel now. The only There's nothing open in the hotel except for two guest rooms and two guests staying in there, and the whole strip is just totally empty. Like There's uh, 330,000 people lost their job in two weeks in Las Vegas. Jeez. Jeez. And just for um, those who don't know, what, what's your uh, official capacity over there? <laughs> so I work for the Marriott Hotel chain uh, on the timeshare business. Uh, I run the um, facility engineering side of things. So officially uh, they call me an assistant chief engineer, but I'm definitely not oh. an engineer. I'm definitely not an engineer. Uh, don't I'm worry about all that study funk. No, 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 just come to America and get a job. We're going to have a real chat about your, your career and go all the way back uh, back to when, when you started. Um, well, even pre-Footscray days, I believe you uh, went to kindergarten with a another uh, Australian AI, cricketer. AIC.Amade. What were your early thoughts about Tony Dottomade? He, he didn't have much of a run-up in those days. Uh, he couldn't really bat to save himself, so he had to develop, develop his bowling early. Worked on his batting as an older kid. His second year in primary school, he really went ahead leaps and bounds. And what were you providing back then? Because uh, the word on the street, i.e. from Dodders, that you were a superstar. <laughs> my, my only memory from kindergarten is I was playing on the old blocks one day. And in those days, they didn't care about having rounded edges. And I remember that I, I tripped over and the next thing I knew was my kindergarten teacher was pulling a block out of my head. <laughs> missed my eyeball, but missed my oh. eye by about a centimetre. I still have a scar that runs down my eye where it went in right here. So your coordination in the field was set up pretty early at kindergarten then? <laughs> yeah, hence I fielded fine leg my entire career. Yeah, that's what I've always said, Punk, um, with this isolation, without taking um, the mickey too much. We fielded at um, fine leg for 20 years in self-isolation. <laughs> so we're used to this, aren't we, ex-fast bowlers? I'm thriving in this. I mean, I, I don't like people to start with, so this, this is a blessing for me. I get to sit at home all day. They've put me on swing shift uh, while during this whole thing, so I'm working afternoons now, 2, 2 p.m. to 10.30 at night. Um, so I get to lay by the pool in the morning, walk the dogs for a couple of hours, and then come to work in the afternoon and sit in my office and pretend I'm working here. 
Hey, so just we'll get back to the cricket, but also uh, you're a fine baseballer. You know, what level did you get to baseball-wise and, and what sort of effect did it have on your cricket? Because, uh, you know, no doubt you always had a really good slower ball that turned into a spinner and, and you're a, yep. although you didn't make a lot of runs at first-class test level, there was a high percentage of sixes over right field. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, was, I was pretty good baseball. I was probably a better baseballer than I was ever a cricketer. Um, in, in reality, I, I was throwing the ball around at 90 miles an hour when I was 16 years of age. So I was playing all representative baseball from the time I was, I think, 12 up to 17. Um, then I got the I missed the under 18 championships in my final when I was 16 years old because I got glandular fever. Um, and I never really played baseball again. That's when I really started to concentrate on my cricket. I played a couple of years down in Geelong uh, winter comp uh, a few years later, but really uh, at the age of 16 and a half is when I started taking cricket as my first sport. And even when you got older in the field, Funk, the one thing you always had was a great arm. Yeah, I think some people just naturally have good arms. I think I was just lucky. But, you know, as I said, I was a pitcher in baseball as well. So I'd been throwing from the time I was really nine or ten years of age. So I think that muscle just develops over all those years of throwing a ball. What about Footscray? Very famous club here, noted for their, their fast bowlers, isn't it? Like from Alan Hurst onwards and around your era, not only Tony Dodder made your old kindergarten teammate uh, joined you. Mervyn Gregory Hughes yeah. was there. Mervyn Gregory Hughes, Lenny Belkin, who played for Victoria in Queensland as well, left arm quick, great all-rounder. Uh, Peter Dredge, who played a lot of uh, first-grade yep. cricket, could have played a lot of first-class cricket, if not for the time that Victorian had a lot of fast bowlers in that in that era. Rex Bennett was another guy that was there who was getting a lot of wickets in first-grade <laughs> cricket. <laughs> Won a premiership for them, Rexy. Um, so, and, used to and be the my bowl, brother. He used to bowl in the nets to the Aussies, didn't he? He did all the time. He, that was one of my funny things. When I, when I played my first Boxing Day test, I, I put the pads on. And Rex turned up with a brand new cooker <laughs> Got me out about 19 times. <laughs> Just demolished me. He was like 63. He was 63 at that stage. So um, it must have been tough getting a game in the ones at Footscray back then. Um, I took my brother's place. Uh, my brother was a really was actually probably the fastest bowler uh, in Victoria around that time. I, I remember a story that he tells all the time that. He was bowling against Dav Watmore in a club game and um, Dav came up to him after the game and said, you're the fastest thing I've faced for five or six years. And Dav was in the middle of his first, first class career at that stage, playing against some pretty fast bowlers around the country. So it was a pretty big rap for my brother. Um, but he, he, and he just wasn't one of those wicket takers. He had the pace, but he just couldn't take a wicket. So I ended up taking his spot when I was just turned 18. I got my first game in, in, at Footscray in the ones. Was it like um, the famous uh, Stephen Mark War when they replaced each other? The a little bit. And uh, who'd, you go, bit. who'd you come in for and you pointed to your brother? <laughs> Him. <laughs> he was, um, I, was, I was always known as his, as his little brother until I played first-class cricket and he became my brother. <laughs> and was there much family history in cricket? Because your, your father coached you in the juniors. Was, was he yeah. a, a cricketer or, or got involved because his sons were playing? No, Dad was a cricketer. He, he played at Sunshine Heights, where, I, where me and my brother both started playing cricket as well. Um, my brother, my brother's got like thirteen hat tricks, um, starting from under twelve on the fourteens. I know. Apparently, so, so I've heard you say a few times. You know, what I was watching the other day was Warney dropping that catch again. Ah, second hat trick. It was. Yeah, I know, it, was all, it was all over the internet on your birthday, wasn't it? I thought you must have re-released <laughs> it. <laughs> But back to your but, um, yeah, 13, 13 yeah. hat-tricks. That's I, 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 grew up, I, grew, I grew up so jealous of my brother because you get a hat-trick, they, they mount the ball for you. He had like a wall of cricket balls. <laughs> he, had, he had figures like seven for one, six for none. You know, I got my first hat-trick, I think, when I was 15 or 16. I, and I, got, I think I got like maybe four in my career. But um, <laughs> it took me a long time. Like, 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 that's like 35 years. But my dad coached both of us when we were young, under 12s, under 14s. And then when Dad went down to coach Footscray Juniors down there on the 16s, uh, I followed him down to Footscray. Uh, and then we won the, our first under-16 premiership uh, that first year. We had a really good team. Um, 
dad was a ruthless coach. So we, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we batted first, um, made 450, uh, bowled the other team out for a hundred, batted again, made another 250 then sent it back in. And we got them out for like oh, 80 no. and they gave, they gave up in the second dig. How many days so that, did they go for? Uh, two days. <laughs> we, have a, we had a very good team. All The whole team that I was playing with, we were playing in all the third or fourth grade district cricket. So we were playing in sort yeah. of local comp sides and we, we had a team full of really district second, uh, district thirds and fourth cricketers playing under 16. So we dominated. Superpower. Um, so, Funk, you're playing for Footscray and you do well enough. You get picked uh, to debut for Victoria. Um, and I think you walked out, you might have batted first, Victoria, and you walked out at number 11, and, and your um, old kindergarten mate was down the other end, Tony Dodamade on 60-odd not out. He'd never scored a first-class 100 before this day. Can you take us through your thoughts uh, facing that first ball, no doubt conscious of, of getting your old mate to his first first-class 100? Yeah, I was trying to get my first boundary as quickly as I could as well. Um, it... Was, it... I was so nervous playing my first game of first-class cricket because I had been to the MCG for years to watch the Boxing Day test and first-class cricket there. And uh, even though you're walking out in the MCG and there's only a bunch of school kids down at third man, it was just pretty exciting for me. So um, I probably wasn't thinking too much of dollars getting 100. Uh, probably more of just maybe just hitting the, hitting the bat or hitting the ball. And can you talk us through that that first delivery? I, I believe uh, Ray Bright had got out the captain, and um, he was pretty keen for you to for the rest of you guys to make it hard for them and, and battle it out. I think it was Brett Mulder, an off spinner, threw the ball yeah, up. I, and I don't, I don't remember what, what, it very well, Flemo, but I, but I remember running down the pitch about eight or nine yards, and then realised he just beat me in the flight. So I thought I better I better swing the bat anyway, and I swung the bat around. I fell over and dislocated my right thumb. And we hadn't we hadn't even bowled yet, so they had to tape my thumb into place so I could bowl in the, in the first dig. I looked in the stat. I don't think did you bowl in the first innings or did it take to I the think, second I, innings? I can't remember. Um, I think I bowled because I remember having the tape on my thumb. They basically put a ball in my hand and taped my thumb in place. So stumped first ball in first class cricket, Stump, yeah. and you dislocated yeah. your thumb. Yeah, good start. <laughs> and Ray, 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 Ray Bright was also my club captain at Footscray. Uh, so I basically, you know, the, the old MCG rooms, you walk through, there was the upper deck viewing area, then you had to walk down the stairs. And my first game, I was sitting under that staircase. Um, Donners had already stitched me up, so I wore, my, I wore my traveling uniform to the first home game. He thought that was really funny to make me do that. Um, and then all I heard Ray Bright say, and I hope you got a, a bleeping button, was I walked through the front door, thought no one had said anything, and all I heard from Spotty was, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, well, you beat me in the flight. What, what do you want me to do? Just got a good one early, as Merv used to say. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, it was a competition for spots in Victoria as well, wasn't it, with the ball? So uh, where did the move to South Australia come from? Um, really, it was Dennis Hickey came on the scene in Victoria. And um, I, so I played that first game. Uh, then we went to South Australia. No, I think I played, uh, I played two games against Sackers and, and Western Australia in Victoria. Then we went to South Australia for the last game in there and Dennis Hickey came in to the team. I was made 12th man which I wasn't too upset about because really I took a week off work. I got 300 bucks to get, well, 250 bucks or something to play the skilled cricket and I'm in the best city in the world to be 12th man. So I didn't what see much in my hotel room. from the senior players about being a good 12th man back in the mid-80s? Good 12th man always got home late. Just made sure the drinks were ready <laughs> and, you, and you bought the first round and we went out at night time. I, I had to scout a few bars for the boys every night. So I thought I did a pretty good job, but then um. The next season, though, I wasn't even in the Victorian squad. So, uh, maybe, a, maybe my drink mixing wasn't that good after all. Bit of a but uh, then I went to, yeah, something did me right. I think it might have been, um, it was either Dino. I think it might have been Dino that stitched me up. I think he said it was all about stay out late, get the drinks in, 
you know, just make sure you turn up to the game the next day sort of thing. And so I took him and to his word. I, I spent my coach was year. Ian Redpath, who uh, wasn't a big yes. drinker or nightclubber. Correct, yes. And, uh, Dennis Hickey was my roommate. Um, the funny thing was he borrowed my clothes every night and went out every night. He was playing his first game. So <laughs> he was wearing my shirt, my pants. And he owns half of New York now, Dennis Hickey. I know, exactly, I know. I don't know how well he's doing right at the moment. He does owe me. He owes me a nice yellow shirt with a little round collar on it. And I had a little, I think it had pelicans or something on it. It was a pretty cool shirt back in those days. And Funky, did anyone from South Australia uh, approach you or did you just go on your own, um, Will? I went over. I went over on, on a, a weekend. And, uh, and the, back in those days, they televised all the Shield games. So I sat in my hotel room one on a Saturday afternoon and, and watched a Shield game. Uh, Shane George was really the, the fastest bowler they had. Yeah. Uh, Peter Gladigo was bowling. And that was really all they had up there. At the time, uh, Maisie was their spin bowler. But I really thought, having a little taste of first-class cricket, I thought I was going to be good enough if given the opportunity. So I really left, went home, left work, um, quit my job, uh, drove to South Australia, found somewhere to live, got myself a job working for the newspaper selling advertising over there. Found a cricket club, um, so I went to Sturt. Uh, Les Stillman was coached, but I went there because Wayne Phillips, an Australian cricketer, was playing there. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to play cricket. I wanted to play cricket with an Australian cricketer. I didn't know at the time how funny the guy was. Did he wouldn't have let you down, either, Flipper? Would you? He's probably the funniest person I've ever shared a dressing room with in my life. He's just hysterical. Uh, there was never a minute without a story going by, and he just teased and terrorised the younger guys in the team. <laughs> And, and your time in South Australia, you took a seven for in a, in a Shield final, um, backed it up with 40 wickets the next year. Like, you were a genuine swing bowler back then, weren't you? Yeah. Um, and, and I think in bowling in Adelaide Oval, as you would know, Flem, playing a lot of test matches in the first cast cricket there, if you bowl from the scoreboard end, even though it was into the breeze, it really helped you back in those days when there was no grandstands back. They really just had the one, the Bradman stand. Um, so yeah. you could, with the with the hard ball early on, you could swing it quite a long way. Um, and I liked bowling from that end because it was I felt like it was more running downhill uh, into the wind rather than uphill with the wind from the other end. I never really got ballots from that other end. But the yeah. funny thing is that that, that that Shield final where I got seven for, I went out after, um, I tore my, my grunt muscle like a, in about, I don't know, the 23rd over or something. Oh. So five of those wickets I got were with the slower ball. Uh, guys missing, you know, with us swinging through and missing them and getting bowled or popping them up the mid-off. So, you know, we got the seven for you think, well, bowl this night out. So I went out for a night um, with a couple of the other guys and I might have stayed out a couple of hours too late, but nothing too bad. And then we got bowled out the next day. So now we've got to bowl again. And I've got, I'm taped from the waist to my chest. And you, you know, you've done that muscle as well, Flem. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's the most painful thing you can get. And, Booksy is the captain of South Australia. He, he, not the friendliest bloke in the ball when he's grumpy. <laughs> and he'd heard that I'd been out late, so he threw me the new ball and said, you're bowling this end and you're going to bowl this end all day. <laughs> Second dig. And I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, let's go. So here we go. Well, mate, I went through so much pain. I ended up bowling like 16 overs on the trot um, with, with the torn rib muscle. Uh, I can't remember. I think I might have got one for 50 or you know, pretty good figures or something on the wacker, but. And then I got written up by South Australia. I got put in file. I got put on. I got put on notice that I wasn't going to be in the squad next year. And thankfully, that all got sorted out. And yeah, I had, I had two or three good years in South Australia. And so that moves us straight into to the move to Tassie. Was it was it yeah. a similar sort of thing that you could just see a, a, an opportunity in the fast bowling ranks there? Yeah, same thing. Um, South Australia were starting to think of playing more all-rounders and another spinner. Uh, Maisie was struggling at the time with injuries and he really couldn't run and do anything else apart from spinning the ball a mile. So uh, Peter McIntyre was heading over to South Australia. Joe Scuderi was the all-rounder. Um, there was just going to be limited opportunities for me. So you know, over after playing as Tassie in a Shield game uh, just before the end of the season, uh, Greg Shippard and I had a, had a chat and Greg was coach of Tassie and he said look 
I think you've still got the ability to play first-class cricket, and I, I thought I did it as well. And he said, if you want to come down, um, no guarantees, but we'll look at you after the first couple of games and we might put you in the squad and see how you go. So basically the same thing. I, I, quit, I quit my job again, um, found a club, Lindisfarne, which, were, which didn't exist at the time. They were a brand-new club into the first-grade first cricket. I was there professional, earning 75 bucks a week. <laughs> and they, they got me a, they made me a housemate for somebody and then um, just went from there. Played, I think I played shield cricket after the first three or four games. So in this mix of South Australia and also Tassie, you know, we need to talk about league cricket in England. Uh, you know, you're yep. a smashing success. Uh, in particular, when I put it out to social media, uh, the amount of ex-Lancashire League players that were asking about um, your time there and how much you enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I mean, for us, lucky enough to play it, it really it, it did develop your game. Um, it does. What, what were your first memories? And then, of course, you're most probably famous for, I won't get into off the field, for on the field for doing the double, you know, 1,000 runs and 100 wickets at Rorton Stall. Yep. I think you're only yep. the third person to ever do that. Yeah, there's four of us now. Um, what's his name from uh, New Zealand did it as well? Chris Harris. Little Chris Harris, yeah, Harry did it. But, yeah, I, I loved – and you know, Flynn, how much fun it is playing cricket in the leagues in England. And I think in the, in the times that we played over there, um, we played in really strong leagues. Every, every club – Uh, either West Indies, uh, and it was just really, really good cricket. The amateurs were, I think, a class above. They probably are now. Um, it was tough cricket. And you learnt, as the pro, you bowled from one end. Uh, if, if it was a 48-over game, I think, they were back in those days, you bowled, You were going to bowl 24 from one end, yep. and you expected to bat three or four and make a 50 or 60 every game and, and get a team through to victory. So it teaches you a lot as a young kid. I first went over there when I was like 21 years of age. Uh, to Preston in the Northern League. Um, had an all right sort of year, but nothing great. They fired me. Uh, the next one was <laughs> Chorley in the same league. Uh, again, I think I got 75 wickets or something, but I, couldn't, I just couldn't make a run at that stage. So they fired me. Then I had a year off. Uh, then I went to Rortonstall in the Lancashire League. And in that first year, I did the double, and it was a 1,000 runs and 100 wickets. And you've, you've played there, Flynn. The ground's not the biggest ground in the world, so it suited my batting. No. Um, and and they had a and it was a pretty it was a pretty hard wicket. We had a we had a really good young groundsman, so he would roll the wicket hard and bouncy and fast. So it, when I was bowling off the long run back in those days, I could I could nip the old duke ball all over the place. And got a question from Jack Simpson. They used to play in the the leagues <laughs> there. Was it true? My famous David wicket Hooks offered. Oh, we're talking about that first. Yeah. So Jack, Jack's a grumpy bastard too. Like, um, but we were, I was playing for Accrington and um, it was going to be my last bowl I've ever, last time I was going to play league cricket in the, in the league. So I'd had enough for being there for nearly 10 years. And we'd been bowled out for 50 or something. They were going to get him. So Jack, I got a wicket earlier. Then Jack came in and last ball, they needed two runs, I think it was. So I just said to the umpire, left arm over. Quick. Uh, he said, What? I said, I'm going left arm over quick. And he looked at me and just sort of smiled. And Jack took strike and didn't know what was going on. I came up to like the 25 yard run up. And, uh, and, I, and I, I could do it. So I knew I wasn't going to be making a fool of myself. But it just a perfect ball, seam up. It started outside off, nipped back to middle, then nipped away and took the top of off stumps. Jack played forward and just took, took the loft bail off. So that was it for me for Lancashire League cricket. One ball left arm, one wicket. That's the biggest time. I mean, we see Joffre Archer warming up with his left hand, but you were doing that in your Australian career, weren't you? And you're doing, you're <laughs> yeah. taking a bit of the Shane Warne instead of a different delivery. You were talking up that you're going to bowl left arm spin in a test match. Yeah, I remember. We, I'm not sure if you remember. We were playing a Shield game in that Victoria, and I think it was against New South Wales, and they'll make it. They were, I think it was against Queensland. They're a million, and um, and. Pistol said to me, you want to bowl left arm now? You can bowl left arm quick <laughs> if you want. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it in a shield game. I just thought that was <laughs> taking a mickey too much. But if the offer was put out to me and I thought about it for a minute, I thought, no, I better not. Oh, geez. I'd love to have seen that. Um, 
Just I one know. of the highlights. You won the one of the big if people don't know the Lancashire League. To win the Worsley Cup is massive, yeah. isn't it? It's a round robin knockout, and you and you won it at Rawton Stall against yeah. Bake Up. Uh, Roger Harper was an unbelievable professional, wasn't yeah. he? Um, seven two fields. I remember my first game. I hit him inside out over cover. <laughs> ran one, come back for the two, thinking, and and he ran thirty meters, dived and <laughs> caught it. And I'm walking oh. off and the three old guys go, he's fallen for it again, Roger. <laughs> it's an absolute setup. But in this game, you, you didn't get a lot of runs and, and you took nine for 25 in a final. Took nine for 25 and Andrew Payne got the 10th wicket. We brought him on just to keep up one end so we wouldn't get a wicket. He got a wicket in his first over. Was it early or? Oh, no, it was late. It was like the, the eighth or ninth oh. wicket. Yeah, so we brought him on just to give the, our other quick rest and said, "Oh, Andrew, just you know, just bowl a few balls, just keep him outside off." And I think the idiot nicked one to the keeper and he caught it. So that was disappointing. Well, but one, that was a great my one for my one nine for for Enfield in the Lancashire League. I had the first eight wickets, oh. and uh, there was a mix up with the run out, and the guy ran from square leg, and the and the crowd because you got big crowds back then, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, They're all absolutely. yelling, and all my teammates are yelling, don't run him out, run him out. The keeper didn't even <laughs> go to the stumps, right? The keeper refused. But this bloke at square leg ran up and took the bales off celebrating and wondered why no one was going up. I had the first oh, eight. But I think I had seven. Yeah. There was about, well, the collections, you remember back in those days, Flemmy, right? For the, for the finals, it was at Bacup. It was our local derby because Rorton stores just down the road, about two miles. Um, I want to say there was three, 4,000 people there. Um, the collection I got, and Peter Wood made 50 batting for us, a Lancashire League legend. Um, he, I think he got like 150 pounds. And we're talking almost 30 years ago. Uh, I got, I think, 140 pounds. It was for the pro to get that much money. It was a, a huge amount of money back in those days because people like to give to the amateurs more than the pros. Definitely. But um, it, 140 pounds 30 years ago, I can tell you what I bought a lot of. It was a scotch and coke and beer. <laughs> what was the nightclub next to Rorton still there? Uh, there, was, there was the Queen's, which is called Stickies, in the Queen's Stickies. Hotel. Stickies on the, in the pub on the corner. Yeah, that, that, and they, just, they, they didn't have a bar fridge. If you remember, they just kept their beer in a box behind the bar. And when you, when you got the <laughs> bottle of beer, they just picked up a bottle and took the top of it. So... I used to hate drinking warm beer in England. It used to drive me insane. And they loved you there. You that social. Um, yeah, Matthew I, Mott I, went I, after you and they loved him. Um, my yeah. two years at Rorton Stall had a professional who smashed them everywhere but wasn't quite as social, Michael Bevan. They could not work <laughs> him out. Bevan would get his collection, put it in his pocket and go home. Well, he got out one game. Um, and he must have had his keys on him because he, he walked straight to his car and drove out. <laughs> and, and the thing is, the house that we lived in at Rawlinstall, you would know, was literally 50 yards across the road. Because I used to yards. drive to the ground as well. I used to drive across the road. I used to, I used to drive to training. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, I couldn't, sometimes I couldn't drive at home. The thing I love about those days, Fleming, I'm sure you had one, of the, one or two of these guys at your club over there. They would come to training just to get away from the wife. They wouldn't train. Them. They'd put their whites on for training. They'd sit in the bar until 9.30 at night, then get changed and go back to the wife and they'd say, oh, I was at cricket training all night. <laughs> no, it was, it was a great time and a great, um, you know, I think challenging and training time for, for developing cricketers. Yeah. But um, we, we need to move to, you know, Tasmania. You had one year where you got 40 wickets bowling outies, but it was the, the record-breaking year, 1970, 1997, 98. 70 wickets. Yep. Um, you took the most yeah. wickets ever in Shield. Um, and this is where you started to, to mix up with spin. You know, what percentage of that 70 was uh, outies? What was spin? And um, what about the build-up to it? You obviously lead cricket. You were bowling a lot of offies. Uh, I, I, I played in Holland. I was playing in Holland by that stage. And I was still signed as a medium pace bowler. But during the week, um, I'd stretch out. We played on mats, um, and they spin a lot. So I'd stretch out a mat during the week, and I'd get a bucket of cricket balls, and I'd just bowl off spin for a couple of hours every afternoon. Uh, so I did that probably three days a week for five months before I went back to Australia and said the boonie. 
uh, I think I can be our spinner. That's really what we lacked in Tasmania. We had plenty of fast, wow. bold, medium paces, but we didn't have a spin bowler. So um, really, Booney said, look, if you want to bowl a few in the preseason, uh, you can have a go. Um, I bowled one or two overs the end of the previous year um, against Victoria, and Ian Harvey tried to slog me, but um, he just kept mishitting me. And then I got someone out bowling a lefty. I can't remember who it was, but bowling around, we got bowled him behind his leg. So I got one in the land and the foot marks and spin back around him. So Booney thought maybe you can bowl a bit of spin. And, and once well, I, I knew he was, was that on... game, I think Dino played and said you're the best um, domestic spinner he faced all year. That was, the, that, that was the next season. That was the, during the year I got okay. the 70 wickets. That was at the MCG. I got, I got a five and a six for down there. And really, that's when Dino came out and said, yeah, this is the best spinner I've faced for, you know, who knows how long. He's the best off spinner in Australia. And we know that he was friends with some of the selectors back in those days. So he was, um, he was probably the guy that first brought me to the attention of the media, which is pretty important when you're trying to make those Australian teams. Um, and that's probably when people started to sit up and pay attention. But, you know, Flem, when you have those good years, Flem, and, you, and you've been through this, you, you get a ball in your hand, you just think you're going to get a wicket every time you bowl. And that whole season was just incredible. I just felt like I was going to get wickets every time I bowled. What about mentally? How did you get used to having the confidence to bowl at that level? But also, you know, when you get hit for six as a fast bowler, you might come back and bowl a bouncer. Yeah. You know, from a spinning perspective, you don't have that option. In all reality, not many people hit me for six when I bowl a spin. Um, I, I bowled at 96 kilometres an hour, so I bowled at a pretty good click. Um, and at that pace, I got a lot of drift, um, and then I could turn it. So, And when you're bowling that fast, you're not really tossing him up, so there's no time for people to run down the wicket at you, and that's what Dino probably realised initially. He tried to come at me a couple of times, but he, he, I, I was beating him in the flight. And the difference, my theory for bowling was not to beat you in the flight out of my hand, but to beat you 15 feet away from the bat, so that late dip with the extra spin yeah. I was putting on the ball. So that's why a lot of guys didn't come at me, um, I got a lot of wickets, bat pad and LBW bowling spin. Uh, and I think that was the key. The key to bowling it though was I practiced it all the time. In the nets, I'd bowl 45 minutes of medium pace and then I'd bowl another hour and a half of spin and then bowl five hours of medium pace, another 20 minutes of spin and just got used to going from one to the other um, and got to the stage where I could do it within an over if needed to be. And, and was it really just, you know, you had a great slower ball. Um, you know, was that picked up through baseball pitching, like a curve ball? And then, yep. um, you know, people don't know, in the in the mid-'80s, not many fast bowlers had gun slower balls. You know, Simon O'Donnell and Steve Wall picked up yep. later. Um, so, it, it. so was your basic stock off spinner your old slower ball? Yeah, and I, have, I had really small hands as a kid. So when you, when you throw a curve ball in pitching, you're supposed to put your two fingers together and, rip across the ball. Well, I, I couldn't grip the ball that well, so I, I just dropped the ball back in my entire hand and rolled all my fingers over the ball. And that's how I threw my curveball. So bowling spin, I had a bit of a slinging action when I was young. So my right, my bowling arm would go behind my back a little bit. Um, so I'd, I would just drop the ball back in my hand. Um, and you know, Flem, because you bowled a similar off spinner as well. It, it actually was probably the fastest ball you bowled as far as arm speed. Um, so that's what the rest of the deception was, but it came out 25 miles an hour slower. Uh, and that's where the other deception was. We got guys hitting it straight to mid-off or just playing and missing it by two feet. No, totally agree. Fastest bowl uh, you could bowl. Yep. Um, quick arm yep. speed, but your fingers and um, wrists weren't behind the ball. Uh, well, I remember uh, over, facing over you in 11 wickets you took um, at the G, and yep. you were fast, but you weren't flat. There was a lot of no. overspin. So there was drop, there was curve, and you just didn't want to um, just go forward and try and block the ball front foot because then you were just so vulnerable to that bat pad you were talking about. That's what I wanted you. I wanted you to try to defend against me because I always I knew I was, I knew I was accurate enough to have a short leg there and he'd be pretty safe 99% of the time. I wasn't going to kill my short leg and my leg slipped. So, yeah, and, and like, I had this argument with Ashley Mallet all the time. Um, morality was all about throwing the ball up in the air and getting a loop on it and everything. Well, you know, I'm six foot tall. I'm going to let go of the ball. I'm letting, you know, I'm, I'm eight foot tall now. Well, I don't know any eight foot tall batsmen. So the ball's already above their eye line. The ball comes out of your hand going up anyway. So now I'm eight foot six. And now all I've got to do yeah. is get the ball spinning hard enough that it's going to dip when it gets to your end of the bat. So 
the, the old-fashioned way of throwing a ball up in the air and beating guys in the flight. And I guarantee you, while you were in India at some stage, <coughs> pardon me, um, there was some old Indian guy who came to the nets and bamboozled all the Australian guys by bowling a slow, tossed-up off-spinners. Um, I just didn't agree with that theory. I thought the more I ripped it and got you to stay in your crease, the more top, more opportunity I had of getting you out. Well, you reminded me more of uh, the late, great Bruce Rue Yardley, um, who yep. was also a former swing bowler, also a former pitcher. Um, yep. So there had been someone similar to you in the past, I reckon. Correct. And, uh, and he bowled with a split finger spinner as well, and not another non-traditional off-spinner's grip. So each to their own. You know, I think if you're going to coach kids, <coughs> you can't cough in Las Vegas with the coronavirus. I'm trying to suppress my cough. I can't get it through the computer, can I? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I could take my earpiece out. They, they say it, they say it is airborne for a long, long time. <coughs> it's so funny because people are so scared. It, it's it's allergy season in Las Vegas, so people oh. are so scared to sneeze or cough in public in case like people come out of the sky and wrap them up in tape and put them away somewhere. So I don't normally um, get allergies until I've, until I lived over here, but no. now I've got these burning allergies in my nose, and I just want to sneeze and cough all day. Um, now, Funk. Australian selection, 33-34, 98 Pakistan. How did you get the news? <laughs> you know the answer to this, don't you? So I was in, I was in Holland uh, and, they, and they, playing cricket. I was over there as the pro, playing for Harlem in the, in the first, they call it first class cricket over there. It was their club cricket. Um, and I'd already been picked in this Australian A team. So we were going to go England, Scotland, Ireland. Um, and this guy from Channel 7, Tasmania, rang me up. <laughs> I'd had a couple of beers after a game. <laughs> and he's like, G'day, college. Uh, I forget who it was, Mr. Jennings. Yeah, let's say, hey, it's Paul here. Um, just want to talk about you just got picked in the Australian team. What do you think about that? <laughs> and I'm like going, yeah, I know, mate. I'm going to England, Scotland, Ireland in about three weeks' time. And he went, no, you're in the real Australian team. And I went, fuck, you kidding? <laughs> But he didn't tell me I was on live TV at the time, though. <laughs> so that went, that went across live in Tasmania, which is, that's uh, not my fault. When you work in the media, Flame, you're supposed to warn somebody that you're on live TV. <laughs> um, and what about the, the trip, mate? It was a remarkable trip, wasn't it? We, we won there for the first time for 40 years. Yeah. There was no warn, but Stuart McGill was unbelievable. And, and, the, yeah. and, and yourself, uh, I don't know if it was your, your first wicket was Salah Malik bowling outies, wasn't it? But then the big yeah. wicket was you provided would have been, heels the record catch. Who would have bet on Salah Malik getting out to a guy playing, playing his first test in the fifth ball of his first over? <laughs> the odds on that? Odds are a million to one. He made a fortune. Um, yeah, and then I got then was uh, <laughs> the Macram caught behind bowling over the wicket to heels. Took a great catch, really, because. I imagine for a keeper, when a, you've got an off-spin and bowling over the wicket to a lefty, he's probably blinded the whole time and the ball bounced and spun a little bit and the heels caught it up there. And it's one of the photos that takes pride in my bar at home because uh, I, I got a hold of the photo, got heels to sign it for me and uh, it yeah. hangs very proudly in the bar. Yeah, and there were some pretty good celebrations there as well. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, through the career, do, do, do you have a, a favourite... Um, you know, a test match, you know, you got 10 for against the West Indies in Adelaide. Um, you know, I remember that great victory we had down in Hobart with Langer yep. and Gilly, and you were 12th man, but you celebrated more than anyone. Yep. Um, well, I always now, do. What are some of the memories? Um, I, you know, there was a couple of games, like getting the 10 for in Adelaide um, for a man of the match performance, and, like, sports are all about winning awards and stuff, but it's just nice. Well, I thought it was nice to win a man of the match because... To me, it was the, <clears throat> the thought that you know, I really contributed to my country winning a test match. So that was pretty, a pretty proud moment for me. I was talking to someone else recently about that summer and, and Brian Lara, and, and, and I was reminded that I got Brian Lara out six or seven times in that summer. So we played him in a first-class game against the Vicks. I got him twice there as well. But I think I got him for 185 in Adelaide. It was like 100, it was, it was 146, I think, in Melbourne when I got him. <laughs> uh, I got him in the West Indies once as well when he was like 160. So I think I don't think he mind facing me, but I eventually got him out. So I, I think he was my had rabbit ears on him for a little bit. 
But he was I out fatigued. My... Hey, you got Stephen Fleming four times, though. You got the lefties out. Yeah, I like the lefties bowling off his. Um, I always back myself against those guys. But I think my favourite, my favourite, favourite moment in all the Test Masters that I played was in Antigua, uh, batting against the West Indies. Well, you led me in beautifully here because <laughs> uh, you're a baseballer. I've looked up, Will. You made 174 Test runs. Um, mm-hmm. And you hit eight sixes, so about a third of your runs were in sixes, and and, and I think and the ninety were against ones, the West Indies. <laughs> no, I think it's a, the most famous one, and and there was a heap of questions on social media. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, well, they asked, did Kurtley say anything um, after the second six? After the so th- that wicket was pretty flat, and and people have asked me <laughs> this. It, it was it was bouncing fairly. You knew if he bowled it, sure it was going to bounce chest dive. If it was up there, you could go forward. I didn't think it was bowling that quick, to be honest. But I just I had one of those days where I was on, even though Warney had backed away and hit one to the slips, and then uh, McGillar had got out pretty quickly, and Tiger wasn't too keen to get down my end as well. So, <laughs> man, the, fir- the first ball I faced was from Courtney Walsh, and it nearly cut me in half. It like pitched two feet out, so I've pitched two feet out, so I've stumped and nearly hit me in the guts. And I thought, oh, this could be fun. Like the keeper was standing so far back. I thought, oh, hang on. Maybe this guy is a bit quicker looks from the change rooms. But I got through that over. And then the sixth, on the sixth ball, I still offended one off my hip. And Tugger called me through for a single. I'm thinking, hang on. Is there two there? He goes, no, just one. <laughs> so we get the one. And I look around to see who's going to bowl the next over. <coughs> and it's Kurtley Ambrose is standing about oh, no. 70 metres away. Um, and he looked, at, he looked as big that far away as he did when he stood next to you. And... The keepers moved back an extra four or five yards. Now there's like five sips in a gully and a short leg and no one else in front of the field. And the first couple of balls was just, you know, off the back of a length. I just spent back and across and that's one through the gully and just called one and Tugger called two. So I'm now back on strike. <laughs> uh, two balls later, back and away again, nudged it through the gully, called one, Tugger called two again. And I last ball over, just knocked one to mid off thinking, not going to run there. Tugger called me through for a quick single, so now I'm facing two overs in a row. So I get through Courtney, I get through Courtney Walsh again. Same thing, leg by the six ball the over. Tugger calls me through for a single, so he hasn't faced the ball for three overs. One like seven, not out. Now Ambrose is bowling, and he's just he, he, he bowled this bouncer to me, and it didn't really get up that much. But I, to be honest, I saw it early, and I just swung at it, and it hit the middle of the bat and flame. You know. You hit a sweet ball. You don't need to look where it's gone. You just knew where it was gone. And I never really aimed down when I played pull shots. I always aimed up. So when I felt it hit the bat, I, I sort of took a quick glance over my, uh, they call it grandstanding in baseball over here, but you've got to see it go over the fence. And it went over the boundary, uh, went over the grandstand, and went out into the street. And I thought, well, I got that one pretty good then. And Steve Wall, Steve Wall just came down and nearly just burst out laughing. And Curtly Ambrose I could feel him standing behind me, but I didn't want to turn around and look at him. No, so I just kept no. my head down. Tiger said, good shot. I said, thanks. Walked back to the mark and sort of took guard. And then all the, you know, the windy started chirping, put him on the ladder, curtly put him on the ladder. And I'm thinking, oh, he's probably going to bowl another bouncer. So he went around the wicket, which was even scarier. And he bowled me another bouncer from around the wicket. And I just did play the same shot. I got it even better this time. And he might, <laughs> and might, so I hit this one. I even said to myself, oh, that's gone. And that went in front of square over the grandstand again. And, my, and by now, by this stage, Kirtley's breathing down my back. I, I know he's there. I can feel him standing right behind me. The West Indian crowd are pretty excited because they like to sing Sixers hit. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble shots, here. Yeah. Well, they love hooks, so yeah. So then he goes, I get through that over. I get through the next over. I'm still on strike. So at this stage, we've put on about 40. I've got 39. Tugger's faced <laughs> two balls so far. And he goes off the long run. He goes back over the wicket. And you just see he ran in fast this time. And he dropped it short. And I saw it. And it was shorter than any other bully ball. So it was going to bounce off my head. I'm having a crack at this one. I got a top edge. It skimmed off the top of my helmet. And went one bounce into the side screen for just before. <laughs> and Tugger came down and said, mate, that ball nearly killed you. I said, yeah, but I saw it early. I really should have made a hundred. I kicked myself. I should have made a test match hundred. Oh. So I saw off Walsh and Ambrose and a freaking Jimmy Adams got me out. Caught at mid-wicket. The only person in front of the freaking that wasn't on the fence. He bought me a long Don't up. And I, I, was, 
I, I was so tired from hitting Kirtley for six that my forearms are <laughs> cramping up. I hit a straight to mid wicket out. Yeah, but you're, you know you're have... probably the only test cricketer that can say that against Kirtley Ambrose. I, I, I had fun that night. Dizzy was cranking me up in the casino there. And I was, I was, AB was our chairman of selectors back in those days. And uh, yes. I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was standing behind me. And the boys were cranking me up about hitting Kirtley in front of square for six a couple of times. And I was sort of bagging AB for never having done that in his life, let alone get him off the square. And I only did find out after about 10 minutes that AB was sitting right behind me. <laughs> He's hit that very well. That's gone. That is a huge hit by Miller. Out of the ground. Oh, Kurt Ambrose, he'll boast about that. Um, hey, just 18 months later, you're Australian Test Cricketer of the Year. Yep. Uh, again, amazing. Um, you know, if you vote for yourself often enough, um, it's yes. amazing what can happen. You, you always yeah, Mark Moore always time, said that to me. Junior was big on that. Give yourself at least one. But um, I, had, I had a pretty good year. I had a couple of <laughs> Test matches. <laughs> Uh, it was really enjoyable. That night was uh, memorable for a lot of reasons, but <clears throat> mainly one for I got to meet. I got to, well. I sobered up in like two seconds. Was the first thing when they announced I finally won it after the count back with me and Slats because uh, we were drinking. Because we you're not expecting it, are you? Yeah, we, well, you're, we were, you're, we're all we're, on we're, the same table, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, every time every time one of us got a vote, we had the drink that was in front of us. I was drinking red wine, so I'd probably had and a bottle and a stitch up because. If you remember, we, we were sort of the B graders, um, yeah. and I'd played one day as at the start and and got like four one votes, so that's four yeah. skulls. Then Marto yeah. Damian Martin come in late. He's the B grader. He got votes at the end. Darren yeah. Lehman got Shield Player of the Year, and then you win Test Player of the Year. I know. And I had I mates know. text me. They knew what we were doing early, but. <laughs> to get up there and make a speech funk was amazing. Oh, <clears throat> you, it's almost like when you get pulled over by the cops and even though you've done nothing wrong, you've been driving, you wanted to, you just pretend, you act like you're sober, even if you haven't had a drink, you just pretend, I'm, I'm sober, I, I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. But I knew I'd had a lot of drinks because you remember they put <laughs> us in that hold, they had us in that holding room before we entered the, entered the room that night as well. So yep. we were in that other, other place having a few drinks, had a few beers and probably a scotch or two in there and then, Another bottle and a half for red wine, and so they had to make that walk because we weren't in the front tables where you know all the all the winners were supposed to be. We were in the middle of the room, so you got to navigate. You got to put your jacket on, make sure your tie's on straight, you know, navigate your way up to the stage with with step to walk up to. Then you got to try to talk sense to Richie Benno. Forgetting the fact oh. that even on TV, you still want to make a fool <laughs> of yourself in front of Richie. And I ended up thanking my dogs who were both called Richie and Benno. That's my highlight <laughs> of my speech. I'd like to thank my dogs, Richie and Benno. Everyone, what the guy's just, what's this guy talking about? Yeah, it was good I'd fun. love to, I'd love to process Richie's thoughts at that stage. But um, talking about making a fool of yourself, I wouldn't say that. that and also harassing West Indian fast bowlers. We've got to talk about the blue hair. New Year's Day yeah, test match. It, it's a, Flemo, it's amazing. And you know, you get a lot of um, Indian fans when you're on social media. And I have quite a few. I imagine you have probably have a lot more than I have. Um, but I get sent that video once a week. <laughs> and it's been it's 20 years. And people still send it to me and say, hey, have you seen this video before? I'm going, well, yeah, a couple of times. Uh, someone, said, someone actually sent it to me yesterday. It was doing, this, it was doing this, the circle again. After you forwarded it to me in the, in the afternoon, I'd seen it early that morning. So it's really funny. Really? Um, the, uh, now, I, I, honestly, I get it all the time. But the, the whole story behind that, and really, I started dyeing my hair. I had blonde hair in Pakistan in my first tour because on that Australia A tour, Jason Gillespie and Dean Hills had a bet about something that if whoever lost Dean Hills, who was uh, worked in a bank those days, wore the short sleeve white shirt and the tie done up and the glasses and everything, and he had to get his ear pierced, which was totally against bankers' rules. And if Dizzy lost, he had, he had to bleach his hair white. And Dizzy had his hair shaved back in those days. So he had like half-inch long bleached blonde hair. And I went along just for the, for the laugh. And the place was full of these good-looking girls in the cell. And so I got my hair dyed as well. <laughs> so we could hang out. Just so we could hang out for an extra, extra hour or so. And then um, so I went to Pakistan with white hair. Then next year, 
I honestly, I never played one day cricket for Australia and I thought I was going to be a chance nah. that summer. And I really wanted to, to play. And, and my thought had been all along MCG or the SCG on a Friday night in the coloured clothing with green or blue hair in front of <laughs> 50 or 60,000 people under lights would have been fantastic. So when Steve Bernard announced the one-day squad at the end of day one um, and I wasn't in it, I thought, oh, my God, there's my opportunity to have some fun. So I really just I rang the hotel straight away and, and got the concierge just to, to order a hairdresser for me and just tell her to bring in some hair dye. And like, so you just happen to bring in sky or dark blue, whatever we want to call it, Australia blue. And so it could have been um, any colour that she brought in. Could have been, could have been any colour. She just happened oh. to bring in blue. Maybe she said it brought in peach or something or something really, really outrageous. So it took me hours to get that done. I had a, I had a mate of mine staying in my room from Melbourne, Paul Burns. And uh, we were sitting there having a few beers and my girlfriend at the time was there as well. And we sort of, uh, so the, the process is you've got to bleach your hair. So we, we're sitting there drinking a few Crown Lagers and Paul was drinking two to my one. And, and uh, we did the bleach blonde and I thought, oh, that's not bad. I can, I can handle the blonde. And then she goes, oh, we'll do the colour yeah. now. And that got to, that's got to stay in there for like 45 minutes. Oh. At, that, at that hotel in Sydney, the, the, the living room wall was a whole wall of mirrors. And by this stage, Paul Burns has had probably 15 crown lagers. I've probably had four or five. And I remember I took the towel off my head for the first time and saw the blue hair. And it was probably the bluest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I'm already on a bit far this time, Funky. But, you know, I, I put up with it. Paul just fell off the chair laughing. Um, <laughs> I, and my girlfriend was just, I think, seemingly cried. Um, but I thought, how am I going to go get away with this in the morning? So. Yeah. We went, to the, we went to the ground in the morning. I just didn't go do a warm-up. I sat in the back of the team bus and had my fluffy on and my tracksuit with the collar turned up and sat in their room and had a can of Coke and a smoke and had a massage. And, and Tugger came in and said, right, boys, uh, I think Casper was playing that game. Casper was going to bowl the first over. Uh, and I said, mate, I, I, I got to bowl the first over. And he's going, what are you talking about? And I took my hat off and said, I spent 350 bucks in my hair last night. There's, there's 25,000 people outside. I need to see this today. So Tugger changed the team plans and let me bowl that over. <laughs> and uh, obviously the great vision is is Courtney Walsh, isn't it? And there's great commentary from Michael Holding and um, Phil Laurie, but yeah. what about Walsh's reaction? Well, Rudy, Rudy Kirsten was the umpire at that end, the South African. And uh, when I handed him my hat <laughs> after – so I was just standing <laughs> next to him with my hat, with my hat on, with my cap on. And, uh, and Courtney Walsh is, you know, not the fastest bloke to take strike. He's looked around the field. He's looking at the leg, short leg. There's no one within, no one more than 30 hours away from the bat, but he's, he's observing the field and he's marking centre again and looking around and marking centre again. And Rudy's saying, give me a hat, give me a hat. So I'm just waiting for Courtney to get ready. <laughs> Courtney finally looked up and I handed him a hat to Rudy, walked back to my mark and started to run in from the first ball. And that's when Courtney really looked up to see me. That's when he pulled away and just started laughing. <laughs> And what you, don't, what you don't hear in that video, the footage that you see, is Courtney Walsh walking down the Rudy Curtin when he walks in and says, who's that man bowling to me now? <laughs> making sure who it was. Oh, absolute It was a good laugh. It was, never ton, it was never done to take the mickey out of the game. It's just me having fun. I, I am lost for words. What is that? <laughs> well, it suggests that uh, he's saying, I'm Colin Miller. I bowled. <laughs> Courtney. Courtney Walsh is laughing. You can't believe it. Nah, and I loved how Steve Waugh was a great captain that way, isn't it? Like, yeah. I loved him as a captain where if you had an idea against the team plan, he backed players who backed themselves, but he didn't mind a yeah. bit of fun either. Yeah, and uh, that's, what, that's what I always say when I get asked the difference between Mark Taylor and Steve Waugh is, in my opinion, Mark Taylor... Everyone knew it was his team and he made all the decisions and he sort of set the fields for you. He'd win the toss and do what he wanted to do. And I think Tugger, when he became captain, really gave everybody in the team an equal voice and an opportunity to have their say. And I think that really helped a lot of young guys coming to the team as well. A um, couple of last ones here. A lot of the questions were, are you involved with uh, USA cricket? Um, you got your finger on the pulse over there? Yeah, well, I've been here for 12 years now, and when I first got here, uh, and I've been coming here for like 17 years now, um, USA Cricket was going through a lot of scandal. Um, 
it had been suspended by the ICC a couple of times. So when I moved here in 2008 and really back here in 2009 permanently, um, it was still suspended. Uh, and I had been approached by a couple of people who said they were involved with cricket in America, but you never really knew who they were. Then uh, I was officially approached when they had an Australian guy come over to take over as uh, CEO, um, and he asked me if I'd be interested in coaching the team, which I was. But my issue was that I wouldn't. There was no guarantee you'd ever going to get paid over here. There was no guarantee of the support of all the states um, in in the in the in the US. The West Coast, where I live, is a lot of um, West Indian-based cricketers, uh, yeah. and on the wet, on the East Coast, it's more. West Indians, some Indians, and then the middle of the country is a mixture of all, you know, all sorts of people. So the factions were fighting against each other. So it would have been nice, um, but I just wasn't, there was no security there for me. Now they've, since the IC took over a couple of years ago and, and put um, people in the right place and brought some coaching over and got their setup sorted out, it seems to be running pretty well. Now they've got official one day status now and T20 status. So it's a game that's going to take off eventually. The T20 form will boom over here if it ever takes off. Uh, one from left here, here uh, even though you grew up in the western, uh, well, uh, suburbs of Melbourne, you both for Essendon, but when the Bulldogs, mm-hmm. Western Bulldogs won the premiership a couple of years ago, after the game, um, Tom Libertore <laughs> mentioned you after the game. It was bizarre. I want to get some of the drugs he was on during that game because seriously. And again, that was sent to me uh, literally as it happened. And then the AFL got a hold of me, their publicity department, and they sent it to me and they wanted me to respond to Libba. So then I, then I, so I, did, a, I did a response from the roof of the hotel right here, um, a response to Libba. But, yeah, he was, uh, he was on some good medicine that day. Oh, yeah, it's always good to, uh, to win, a, win, the, uh, win the Ashes Test match. What did you do today? Hey? What did you do today? Made 100. Did you made 100? Yeah. Who'd your face? Oh, fucking Colin Miller. You just bopped him? Bang! Bang! Beautiful. Love your work, man! He was. Um, and just to finish up, um, yourself and, and Cindy in, in Las Vegas, obviously we're going through some tough times here, but um, you know, you've set up a, a great place for yourself over there. How many Aussie visitors... Friends come and see you. <laughs> a lot. We have, we've had a bunch of this in the last probably six months as well. Um, but I'll tell you what, anyone wants to come to Vegas and this thing is all over, I'll buy you your first beer. Um, this town is really, really struggling. Um, we, when, you, when you rely 95% on hospitality and visitors from coming around the world, and we were on target this year of getting close to 50 million people come to Vegas to basically see, yeah. as you know, Flame, you were here last year uh, to see one street. Um, you take 50 million people out of that street for four months. Uh, as I said earlier, 330,000 people so far lost their jobs in Vegas. Where, for example, all the hotels here are looking maybe to start taking bookings on June 1. But that means that no one's going to be here until July. So there'll be almost six months uh, that the town's yeah. been shut down. And it's just, it's just devastating. Where we live, Flynn, there's a casino across the road. And they do a food bank on a Thursday. And they used to open at 11 a.m. They've changed it to 8 a.m. now. But people line up in their cars from 4 a.m. in the morning and they're lined up for probably a measure two Thursdays ago, easily probably seven miles back on the road, just waiting to hopefully get some food packages for the family. Because what people don't realise, Flem, is this town, people here work for minimum wage, which is in this in Vegas at $7.50 an hour, um, plus tips if, if, you work in, if you're a waiter or a barman or a server. So... If, if, if you and your girlfriend or you and your wife and you've got two kids and you're paying rent and you're working for seven fifty an hour plus tips, you're not making a lot of money, then you don't get paid for five months. And the unemployment uh, system over here has been inundated that people have now been out of work since March 23rd, still haven't received the unemployment checks. So if the city is really going to struggle to come back from this. No, I think on behalf, you know, for, for all of us, isn't it that, you know, in Australia, we seem to have um, done it pretty well, but a few guys over there and, you know, there is some industries that are, that are thriving, but, you know, the majority yeah. are really um, struggling. But, but Swill, thanks so much for, for chatting on the Biology Report today. Uh, some great <laughs> memories. You're a fantastic teammate, great personality. Thanks for, thanks for the chat, Punk. Glenn, thank you. And as I like to all your fans, I know you have a massive following down there. Sorry, Hodge, you couldn't make it, but I know he had 
uh, another issue to take care of. So, so that him for me. Hello to all your fans. And as and again, any Australians want to come to Vegas? Not hard to find. Look me up. I buy your first beer for you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.